Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Uh, thanks, guys. Thank you, thank you. Oh, all right, you might, you might notice me limping around on stage a little bit. Uh, it's because I uh, was with some uh, friends. Who was, who was running last night? A couple of you. Awesome. We did a, we did a 10-mile race in the woods last night. There's a race in Atlanta. Now, I know for some of you, you run like double and triple marathons, but this is uh, twice as far as I've ever run in my entire life. So I'm, uh, thank you, thank you. Oh, oh. Yes. Awesome. So yeah, if you see me, if you see me wince or cringe a little bit, don't worry. It's just because I'm in horrible pain. <laughs> but I made it. I made it. I did make it to the end. <laughs> they didn't have to send a helicopter for me. I was a little worried about that at one point. Um, no. So, gosh, there's there's a lot to talk about these days, huh? <laughs> you know, I I all week I, I've been, you know, I, I always kind of have messages brewing in the back of my mind, just kind of how my brain works. I'm thinking of stuff, and I'm thinking of stuff that I, I, that I hear the Lord saying that, that he's wanting to talk about. I feel like I have things that I want to talk about, that I care about, and just all these things are just kind of rolling around in my mind. And, and there's so much. There's so many important things to talk about. There's so many essential things to talk about. There's so many things uh, that I, I was just feeling kind of overwhelmed by it, honestly. I was like, ah, which, what's the most important one? What's the most important thing? And, um, and so I, I was on my run in the middle of the woods, uh, <laughs> wondering why I was doing this the night before I was going to go preach in front of people. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, it wasn't the sort of thing of like, oh, I don't know what to talk about. It's like, ah, any, any one of these would be deeply needed or deeply important or, or hopefully, you know, deep, deeply helpful. And I said, okay, Lord, what, what are we doing? What are, you, what are you doing? And I didn't hear anything on the trail, not, not one thing. So those people who hear Jesus when they run, nope, <laughs> yeah, not my experience. When I got home and got in the bath, that's when I heard Jesus. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he was there. <laughs> So if your runner friends tell you, hey, go out there and get a run, you can spend time with the Lord, he's, he's at home in the bathtub. Uh, so I sat down in, in the bathtub in horrible pain in my ankles, and I heard Jesus say, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And I, it's a, it's a big statement that can mean a lot of different things, but the picture that came in my mind uh, when I heard that humble yourself in the sight of the Lord was I pictured myself in Jerusalem uh, about 2,000 years ago, walking down the street and overhearing a, a rabbi speaking some, somewhere in a, in a field in a corner and hearing something in what that rabbi was teaching, hearing something that caught my heart and, and walking up to, the, to that rabbi and sitting down on his feet and, and listening, just sitting in his presence and listening to, to what he said. And so I, I would like to, rather than maybe a traditional message or anything quite like that, I'd, I'd just like to spend some time with Jesus today together. Does that sound okay? Yeah. And so this is just kind of what I, what I felt or saw in my mind. I'm going to, there's a lot of scriptures in the Bible that talk about who Jesus is, about, about his, his identity, who he is to us. And um, this one is my favorite. Um, 
Now, again, I, I don't want this to just be um, a recitation of Scripture necessarily. I have a long chunk that I want to read here. I want us to sit in Jesus' presence. So I, w- I want you to get comfortable. If, if you're at home right now, I want you to get comfortable. Um, if you are like me and have five kids jumping around doing backflips, maybe, uh, you know, do rock, paper, scissors and see which parent can maybe take them in the backyard for a while while one parent just, just relaxes here for a moment. And I want you to close your eyes. And so everyone right here, I want you to just close your eyes and just rest here for a moment. I want you to sit comfortably, your feet on the ground, your feet crossed, whatever is whatever's comfortable for you. And if you fall asleep, that's okay. That's probably because you needed it. (laughs) But I just want you to listen to these words. And again, there's there's so many good scriptures about who Jesus is, but but this one is my favorite. And I'm going to read it slowly. And as you have your eyes closed, I just want you to take in a deep breath. Fill your lungs all the way to the top. Hold it for just a second. And then just slowly but completely let that entire breath out. I just want you to hear these words. It's uh, John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into being that that has come into being. Again, I want you to take a deep breath, take it all the way in. Hold it for just a second. And I want you to let it out slowly. And this is probably a statement that you've heard before. And it sounds like preacher science, but it's actually real science. Uh, In every breath that you breathe in, there are more molecules of air than lungfuls of air in the entire atmosphere. So that means... And the way the air propagates, the way the air moves around this planet, and because there's so many molecules of air in every breath that you take in, it is, it is unquestionable, it's a scientific fact, that you are breathing in some of the same molecules that entered Jesus' lungs while he was here on earth. Because the air has mixed and moved all across the, the earth. So every time you breathe in, you are breathing in the same pieces of air that Jesus breathed in when he was on the earth. Everything came into being through him. In him was life, and the, light, and the life was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. A man came, one sent from God, and his name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. This was the true light that coming into the world enlightens every person. Again, I just want you to close your eyes, take in a deep breath, hold it for a second, and slowly breathe it out. I know it's quiet and that's awkward when you're in a crowded room. And I know it's normal for who am I going to meet for lunch afterwards? What time is that soccer game? All those little things to pop up. But as you breathe in and let your breath out, I just want you to gently push those thoughts aside. And just feel the presence of God in the room. 
He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not accept him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Again, I want you to take in a full breath. Hold it for just a second. And breathe it out. We're just meditating on scripture. We're, we're letting the presentation of who Jesus is soak in to our mind, soak in to our heart. And we're all different in the way we receive Jesus. Some of us, the, the list of prophecies that, that confirm Jesus as the Messiah is what, is what really captures our heart. For some of us, the, the genealogy, the, the beautiful arrangement of, of history is what, is what enlightens our heart. I'm a little bit more literary. I like to read. I like stories. And so this, this poetic expression of who, of who Christ is really speaks to me. But regardless of what your personality is, the presence is the same, and the person that it's pointing to is the exact same. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of only the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and called out, saying, This was of he of whom I said, He who is coming after me has proved to be my superior because he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Take in a deep breath and hold it for just a second. And slowly breathe it out. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Manifested into a person. No one has seen God at any time. God, the only son who is in the arms of the father, he has explained him. <clears throat> There's a, a billion things that fascinate me about who God is. And maybe this is a, a nerdy one or a nerdy way of looking at it. But when I think of the, the gap that was crossed, when I think of someone who's hurt me, who's offended me, who's who said something bad about me, who, who, who has done something that has caused me great pain. And when I think of times when I've, you know, kind of pulled together, probably just through the grace of the Holy Spirit, pulled together that ability to forgive, to, to, to reconnect, to reach out, to, to re-engage. When I think of the gap that I had to cross in that moment, and then I think of the gap that Jesus crossed, and think of the distance, the, the, the distance he was willing to travel, the, the gap he was willing to close of being God, of being perfect, of being good, of having given everything good, made everything good. And to show up as a man, to show up as a person, to show up as relatable as possible. 
is kind of overwhelming. You know, Lauren gave a fantastic message last week, and one of the things she addressed was just, just how much, I love the term that she used, how, how much stuff is poking us, how much stuff is poking for our attention, for our response. For, for, for action, for opinion, for all kinds of things. And it doesn't mean those things are bad. It doesn't mean those things don't merit attention or action or response. But it does mean that there's an inherent temptation to get up from being at the, seated at the feet of Jesus. To respond quickly. I want to take you to another story. You can open your eyes for a second. I know for some people it's extremely awkward to close your eyes in a large crowd. It is for me. <laughs> it it's, can feel strange. Um, humility is this interesting thing. You know, hum, humble yourself in the, in the sight of the Lord. That's, that's maybe easy in some respects when we see the magnitude of who God is, how big he is, how, how powerful he is, how smart he is, how much he knows, how, how, how in control he is. All these things, it's easy to feel, to feel small in comparison to him. But is humility thinking of yourself as smaller than something else? I want to read one more, one more story. And it's probably not for anyone in this room, but it's, it is potentially one of, the, one of the most offensive parts of the entire gospel. This is uh, Jesus washing his disciples' feet. We've heard that story before, yeah? Okay. So again, if you're comfortable, I want you to close your eyes again. But this time I want you to picture, picture the scene. It's in, uh, it's in John uh, chapter 13, if you ever want to read it yourself. But it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Oh, gosh. That last sentence always gets me. <laughs> You know, this is the same book of the Bible where we get, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And one of the biggest personal revelations in, in my own life of experiencing God's love was realizing that God loves us big, but he, but he also loves us small. That he loves us in the, in the global sense, in the, in the mankind sense, in the, as, as a group, as, a, as, as his children. But he also loves, he loves us as his children, but he also loves us as his child. And I love this picture of, of Jesus coming to the earth to die for the entire world. But also, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This story of him, at least to me, this evokes the personable, him being in love with the people he did life with. 
the disciples that he walked with, the people that he spent his time with. I just want you to picture this. You know, this is, this is Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. It's about in, a, in, in March. So it's a little bit before Passover, so probably mid-March, give or take. Weather is not too terribly different from here, uh, a little bit drier. It'd be still a little bit of spring coolness in the air. This is during the evening meal, so the, the sun would have been going down, the heat of the day would have been starting to go away. And I was in Jerusalem uh, about a year and a half ago, and I was, I was, uh, you know, I kind of, I grew up in the California, in California, and so the California desert's very, very bushy and, you know, kind of brownish brown. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I like it. It's, uh, you know, I grew up there, so I have, I have fond, that's a fond picture in my head, you know. But when I and, I, and I knew that, that you know, Israel, a lot of the Middle East there was kind of deserty, you know, and so kind of had this California-ish picture. But when I went to Jerusalem, I was stunned at how many beautiful trees there were, these green trees, olive trees, just beautiful, beautiful green trees. And um, just the, the beautiful rocky landscape, all these beautiful rock formations, leafy trees. And again, the weather was just um, a lot more mellow than I, than I had expected. And so again, I want you to just close your eyes and I want you to picture these, these you know, earthy walls of a small house. This would be dinner time, so everyone would be sit, sitting on the floor around a table on a little mat or a pillow or something like that. Everyone would be eating together. You know, in Jewish culture at the time, the, the dinner was kind of the big meal. You had just like a little bit of food in the morning and kind of medium-ish sized lunch. And dinner was the one that was prepared for. It was bigger. Everyone took their time. This was time to connect, spend time together, hang out with some friends, invite people over. So I want you to see this scene. And I love the way that this starts because this is the initiation of, of the beginning of Jesus' journey as described in the book of John towards the cross. This is, this is him knowing his hour has come. So he is initiating the, the protocol, the, the response to the hour has come. Again, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. This is Jesus seeing the, the impending fulfillment of his destiny sitting and knowing who he is, knowing that he was sent by God. And what is his response? He gets up and he takes off his outer clothing, wraps a towel around his waist. A symbol that still uh, draws a picture of, of a server or a waiter, even in modern context. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drawing them with the towel that has, was wrapped around him. Now, again, I'm, if you've been in church for a little while, you've heard a lot about the, the cultural significance of washing feet. It was, it was the, the most, uh, uh, lowest is not quite the right word for it. It, it was the, showing the most service, showing the most generosity, the most 
personal, we think of low in terms of rank. This was like, I am choosing to do the most, uh, the most servant-like thing towards you. It was more about an affection, a, a, a kindness, a, a gift, especially when a host or a, or a leader would do that for someone. And even that would, be, would have been rare. And again, you know, this is, they're wearing sandals. It's, you know, cakey dirt. Uh, you know, uh, indoor plumbing is not really a thing. And so instead it was outdoor plumbing, um, which, <laughs> thank you for laughing at that. <laughs> outdoor plumbing. It was messy and your feet were not very clean, especially around dinner time at the end of the day. And so this was a dirty job, but also a very loving job. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Peter's all the way, man. <laughs> I love Peter. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Uh, then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, my hands, and my head as well. <laughs> Oh, I love Peter. He's all the way. But I would love about him so much is he's not only a bold personality, he's not only all the way, he's always all the way about Jesus. And the second he realizes whichever way he's storming is not the way that Jesus is going, he is so fast to turn around and say, okay, then wash my whole head and my whole body and what else, you know, what else, you know, just, just I want all of where you're going and all of what you're doing. Man. <laughs> Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. Appreciate John clarifying that. It's very helpful. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. The answer most certainly would have been no, because <laughs> he just goes on. Uh, he asked them, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord, and your teacher have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell to you, no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I love this picture of humility for a lot of reasons. One, it's an action. He did something. He, he did, a, a, at that time, a cultural act that was an act of humility. But it's interesting because that humility, especially in this case, was not about him being small or diminishing himself or diminishing his value. In fact, on the front end and the back end of this story is him actively standing in recognition of who he is and what he carries, saying that he is Lord, he is teacher, standing in that identity. And it was in that place that he stepped into an act of humility. There's a lot of good one-liners about 
all of the fruits of the spirit, all of the, the aspects of God nature. There's, there's lots of good ones and I, there's a lot of them I agree with. You know, I've heard some people, some people say, you know, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And I would agree that's, that's probably an aspect of humility and, and part of humility. But at, le- at least for me and at least for the way that I experience God is I think especially in these deep things, these deep characteristics that scripture addresses over and over again and gives examples of over and over again, I think it's important for us to remain engaged in the mystery of the magnitude of the manifestation of God's nature in his children. Because this is mysterious. I mean, we could take the simple act of this and just say, oh, be a servant to people around you or be humble and, and take, take the low job. There's, there's so many things, but at least for me, anytime I try to you know, get a cookie cutter and slice out the essential clear picture of what this, this story, this moment is, I feel like too much of the dough is left over afterwards. Does that, does that make sense? Like, ah, oh, I'm missing something. Not that that part that I cut out was bad or wrong. You know, that, that's a good, good little piece of this truth. But, oh, there's something important missing. If I'm not willing to engage the little bit of messiness of, oh, wow, I don't understand the full magnitude of this statement. What does it mean for the king of kings to be humble? On one hand, it's the most mysterious thing ever. On the other hand, we see a clear example of it. Like I said, there's, there's a lot of messages that have been in my head. There's a lot of things that I personally want to talk about that I want to talk with other people about. I, I personally am still still roiling in the in the in the pain that I have experienced and and heard when I speak to to my black brothers and sisters and family and friends about the the pain that they experience because of the way that they look because of their race and I can feel the glory of God desperate to release his will into that part of the world, into that aspect of society, desperate to, to release his glory. And my brain wants to, my, my brain that's so helpful but so not helpful all the time, wants to talk about a plan for that or a way to do that or some practical things to, of how to do that. But no matter how much I roil it through my mind, I feel so desperately inadequate to that task. I'm just talking about how I feel about that. I've been talking with the Lord a lot about what the landscape of the world looks like over the next 10 to 20 years, what, what, what direction the world is taking, and how best to represent the gospel in that landscape and in that world. Because I know the truth that no matter what happens or no matter if the world goes this way or that way, the gospel doesn't change at all. But it also, I am a human being who's got two feet that are very sore and <laughs> is walking on this planet with, with the task of perpetuating the gospel, of releasing the gospel, of inviting people to be discipled by, by the gospel. And I have lots of thoughts. So I think some of them might be okay, might be good, but all of it feels so inadequate in comparison to that task. 
And I find often when I go too far in that and shake that around in my head, I, I find myself experiencing an anxiety that I don't see in God's nature. I don't feel, I don't, I don't believe that God has when he looks at the future. But when I find myself in this attitude, in this uh, posture of hearing the sound of a teacher, hearing the sound of a Lord, hearing the sound of Jesus, and finding a spot to sit down in that place and be taught by him how to represent who he is. I don't feel that anxiety. I don't feel that, that overwhelmness. I feel an ease that is quite counter to the way I practically feel about a lot of things that are going this way or that or anything else. You know, we've talked a lot, or maybe we haven't talked a lot, but people talk a lot about how, you know, our attention spans are decreasing. You know, we can, you know, you know, when I think of like, okay, gosh, I get to speak to you guys, you know, maybe 45 minutes a, a week. And I imagine that most of us are probably, you know, on social media or YouTube or whatever else, like what, eight hours a week, 10 hours a week? You know, the, the, the amount that we get input, the, our, our capacity for getting input has turned into a 24-7 proposition that kind of lives on your hip. But again, even that doesn't really worry me when I remember to listen for that sound of the voice of a teacher, of the voice of a Lord, that I feel my heart being pulled by. And, and I decide wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, whatever's going on, to find where he is and sit down at his feet and learn how to represent who he is on the earth. I'm not going to try to summarize humility in a, in a fancy one-liner because, like I said, I, I think that ends up being a bit of a cookie cutter. But I think that part of it, for me at least, is not letting anything else that I'm called to outrank my identity as a disciple of Jesus. <laughs> that learning from him is, is one of the greatest tasks that I've been called to. And that in doing that, I'm much more likely to fulfill the others and much more likely to have an effect where I'm called to have an effect. And so again, one more time, I want us to, to just close our eyes. And I just want you to sit at Jesus' feet. Some of us are visual, and so we can, we can see him. We can see him sitting on a rock just outside the city of Jerusalem. We can see ourselves watching him speak. We may even be able to picture the, 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 the character of his face, the way his eyes look around as he speaks, as he shares what the kingdom of heaven is like. For some of us, we might be more auditory. We might, we might hear those messages that we've 
read, written down in Scripture. We might hear those messages and hear the tone of his voice, hear the cadence that he speaks in, hear the places he chooses to pause for emphasis. For some of us, we might be more tactile. We might be more, more of a feeler type person. And we might just have the feeling, the, the, the tangible experience of being close to someone that we care about. The warmth, the comfort. I remember after I got married, the first time I spent what was then a significant amount of time of, away from my wife... It was five days, but it felt like a very long time when you've only been married for a couple of months. <laughs> and I remember the feeling of missing her, and I remember the feeling of just walking into the same room that she was in and feeling the rest, feeling the peace, feeling the comfort that, that just came over all of my being the second I walked into the same room that she's in. And some of us experience sitting at Jesus' feet like that. And there's many other ways to experience sitting at Jesus' feet. And today I want to I challenge you as I am also challenging myself to find that place more often than I'm finding it right now and stay there longer and I'm staying there right now. And that's not a comparative thing. That's not a competitive thing. That's not a let me do my 20 Jesus push-ups, you know, thing. It is wherever I'm at, whatever I'm doing, that I am continuously stretching my capacity to abide in his presence, to be where he is. It's the only way to learn the kind of humility that Jesus represented on the earth. Because there's lots of good keys to humility. But any descriptor of the nature of God is always going to be some kind of mystery. Because it is simply bigger than any one of us. So if you would, just stand real quick where you're at, and we'll wrap up. This is a great time to find out if the person sitting next to you did fall asleep. <laughs> so if you would, just uh, put, put your hands out in front of you. Jesus, we just want to make ourselves vulnerable to your presence. We want to make ourselves sensitive to your presence. You gave us magnificent brains with fantastic ideas and strategies and plans. And we know that you have value for those. You care about those. You don't, you don't approach those with, with crassness, with, with inconsideration. But we also know that you might have better ideas or better plans or better strategies. 
And so we want to make ourselves humble. We want to make ourselves sensitive to you. Lord, we recognize that we're in a season where there is so much input. There are so many ideas coming at us. There are so many needs. There are so many thoughts. There's so much poking. And it doesn't mean those things are bad or that we should ignore them all or anything like that, but we just want to protect our ability to remain more sensitive to you than anything else. So we ask for your help, Lord. We ask for your help. And more than anything else, Lord, at least for what I feel compelled to pray today, I bless every single one of our ears to hear that voice of a teacher, of a Lord, of a Savior who's speaking somewhere right near where we're walking. And that we would hear that voice and be compelled to walk to where that voice is coming from and sit down at the feet of that teacher, of that Lord, of that Savior. I feel like I've seen some pictures of, of the beauty of what God is wanting to do in the world in the next 10 years, in the next 20 years, and I hope to share them soon. It's incredible how good God's plans can be. I know I, like any, anyone, has only seen the bare, a bare corner of it. But I believe that all of it comes through being a disciple of Jesus. Being, being someone who is following his ways, who has become a student of his nature, a student of his love, a student of his character. It's the best way for all of us to release heaven onto earth. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.